My name's Tammy. Um, for those that you, you haven't met me, I'm married to Steve, or, who you've already met this morning, and together we lead the Central Vineyard. Um, so Steve asked me to speak this morning just because he likes to put the fear of God in me. Um, <laughs> and I try and say no as much as possible, but he kind of twisted my arm. So um, I'm going to be continuing on the series Steve started last week called God Has a Name. So we're in week two of the series, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the seven compound names for God that are found in the Old Testament. And as we said last time, this really is a series where we're taking the time to reflect, and we're taking the time to understand the character of God and what God is like. And as we do this, we're reminded of the time when God first revealed his name to a man named Moses in the book of Exodus. Up to that point, God was known as Elohim, which is the Hebrew name for God. But to Moses and the people of God, he became Yahweh. And we see God, when God revealed his name, he was revealing part of his identity. He was saying, this is who I am. I'm Yahweh. We see that God revealed his name, and in that revealing, it was an invite into intimacy, an invite into relationship with him. You know, when we meet someone, we find out their name, and we make a connection. And Moses became a man on first-name terms with the creator of the universe. And then throughout the Old Testament, we see these compound names of God, And we see that when Yahweh is used, it's followed by a description that is added to that. In a small but incomplete way, it reveals to us what this God is like. And so last week, Steve looked at the name Yahweh Shema, found in the book of Ezekiel. And Yahweh Shema means God is there, or God is present. And we looked at the idea that in the midst of our lives, in the midst of suffering or pain, In the daily walk, God isn't removed from us. He isn't removed from our pain, but he's there in the midst of it. He's the God who is there. He's the God who feels the things we feel. He walks the places we walk. And so this week, we're going to be looking at Yahweh Shalom. God is peace. And when Steve asked me to speak on God is peace, after laughing for quite some time and going, but what is peace? I have no peace. This is not my experience in life. How am I going to speak about this? <laughs> um, and, you know, and Steve said to me, well, you probably just need to take this as a learning moment <laughs> because <laughs> you can understand what peace is, is if you look at this. And I think about that, and I think about what pictures we must conjure up in our minds when I say the word peace. You know, do we think the dictionary definition, it says, peace is a state of tranquility, free from disturbance, or a time where there is no war in our countries? Do we think of, is it the 70s, with all those big love posters, peace signs, um, crazy hair and clothes? Do we think of a box of fluffy kittens? Or my children sing this song called Pink Fluffy Unicorns Dancing on Rainbows. And and, um, then it goes along with peace and harmony in all the world. (laughs) Um, Or does does peace 
seem like a tangible place for you to reach, or maybe it's not, and maybe it fills you with dread. But the God of peace, Yahweh Shalom, means so much more than that. The peace of God isn't a fluffy, calm quietness. It's actually quite gritty. God is peace. He is like the eye of a storm. You know, when you see in the States, they have these massive storms that they name, and now we have for some reason. But ours isn't as, you know, they, you see the images from the sky, and they're like massive swirling clouds, and right in the center, um, they call it the eye. And right in that center, the eye of the storm, it's peace. Nothing happens. When the eye of the storm passes over you, it's meant to just go eerily quiet, It's so calm, but all around the edge of the storm, it's ravaging the atmosphere and everything is being swept away in its path. And that's a bit like our lives. They're happening, they're moving, they're fast-paced. And God wants to be like the eye of the storm. And so Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The Hebrew word for peace actually means wholeness in all of life completeness, welfare, safety, all encompassed in that one word, Yahweh Shalom. God is our source for this. So we're going to be continuing our story and turn into the book of Judges. And as a backdrop so far, God has established his covenant through Israel, uh, in Israel through Abraham in Genesis. And then we had Exodus, where God led the Israelites out of Egypt under Moses' leadership. Uh, there was the big parting of the Red Sea where they passed so they could escape. They walked through the desert looking for the promised land. They encountered miracle after miracle. You know, they had bread, manna from heaven, cracking open rocks to find water. Um, and then in Joshua, which is the book before Judges, they make it to the promised land, um, the land flowing with milk and honey, uh, the good life. And then when they were there, they looked for a way to manage and establish law and order in the land. And so they gathered a group of people together to look over them, hence the name Judges. And we're joining the book of Judges in chapter 6. And I have to make a disclaimer, because in, you know, when you are talking about things from from God, especially like peace, you have to be challenged. And so this morning, we... um, we all loaded into the car eventually because we, for those of you who don't know, there is an earlier service and um, a lot of people, all the people we're getting here about quarter past, half past eight and that's probably a bit late but I am because I've got three children and a husband and a dog and we're all crazy but in the midst of that we got into the car and we started to pull away and the dashboard started flashing and it said, stop the engine, stop the car right now. I was like, what? What do you mean? The, t- the car's talking to us. Um, and we, were, we thought we turned it off. And we were like, oh, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Turn it on. Stop. You must stop your engine right now. Do not drive. And it was giving us some warnings. So we thought, oh, it's fine. We'll have a look, see if we can get away with it. And it actually said, if you drive your car, um, the oil pressure will go, your engine will seize, and that will be the end of it. So it was really important to hear that. And so it was like, oh, oh gosh, I'm talking about peace, I need to, to be peaceful. And um, 
So I was like, right, okay, this is what we're going to do. It was like, we need some money. And Stephen and I are a bit like the queen, just don't have cash. It's a card for everything. We're like, why can't I pay on card on our, in a taxi? And so um, it was like, kids, we need to get money out of your money box or do whatever. And uh, there was resistance. So it was like, fine, we'll walk to the shop. It's, it's a five-minute walk. We'll walk to the shop. We'll ring a taxi on the way. We'll get some money out of the shop and, it'll, and we'll get there. And so we're ringing a taxi. But in the midst of all of that... Short story, sorry, it ended up being long. I left my Bible and all the bits I needed for today in the car, except my talk, because that was in my hand. Um, so we are turning to the Bible, and I'd like to show you that I'm turning to the Bible, just so you know that I'm, um, I love my Bible. Um, <laughs> but we're going to be turning to chapter 6, and so far in chapter 6, we see the Israelites have been given over to the Midians. Their Midians are a really oppressive bunch of people. They literally take every bit of harvest and cattle. They ravish the land, everything in their path. And it causes affliction to the Israelites like no other. So much so that the Israelites have gone off um, to make their dwelling in the mountains and in caves to save themselves. That's a far cry from the promised land. So we're picking up in verse 7. And it's long, so bear with me. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Ebersrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Do not the Lord, did the Lord not bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of the Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and a broth in the pot, he brought them out and offered them under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. 
When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah, the land of the Abezrites. And I read that story... And I was really amazed. I thought, what a great story. And we hear first in verse 7, well, what I heard first was just an insight into Gideon and what must have been the state of his mind. You know, hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, hiding from the Midians. A wine press would have been the complete opposite to what he would have been used to. To thresh wheat, you have to be, in those days, you had to be above ground, and basically they threw it into the sky, into the air, and it separated, the wheat and the chaff separated. Um, So it needed to be a bit windy. It would have been outside, it would have been used to nature, and all the elements that came with that. But a wine press was a dark hole in the ground where you press grapes, so maybe a bit squelchy. And Gideon was hiding from the Midians, doing his job in a completely alien environment. So I imagined that he was probably a little bit grumpy too. And perhaps he was feeling a bit oppressed in this place. And an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I absolutely love Gideon's response because if we weren't in that time in ancient Near East, I would assume that he was totally very British. Because verse 13, he says, pardon me, my Lord. And I can't help thinking (laughs) of saying that in a completely British accent. But I also wonder if he was being a little bit sarcastic, you know, a way of saying, hi, not sure if you've noticed I'm hiding in, a ground, in the ground from the Midians, you know, trying to hide, not cause any dis- causing them to see me. I'm trying to save some food for my family and a little bit sour and quick to say, but hey, Lord, if you were with us, why would this have happened? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about? You know, did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? That's what they said. But now, Lord, you've abandoned us. You've given us to the hand of the Midian. That was his response. And straight away, I began to see that Gideon had questioned the identity that God had given him. Mighty warrior. And he was quick to question the legitimacy of who God was. The Lord has abandoned us. Where are you, God? Why are you doing this to us, to me? And I began to think of the times that, you know, maybe I'd cried out and said, where are you, God? You know, maybe that's your cry. It has been your cry. In the midst of a strange place, a state of mind that wasn't his own. And maybe you've given and you've given and you've worked and you've not seen any return and you're struggling to see where God is in any of it. 
You might be focusing your energy on work, on your family, on your relationships, the things that you believe God has called you to do, but none of it seems to be working out. And you're questioning, where are your miracles? Where are your wonders, the ones that God has promised you? And the Lord is so gracious, and he responds. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And what I love about God's response is firstly that he even does respond. Because he's God. You know, he's, he's there and he's just being criticized. And he could have continued and just left and said, Oh, well, Gideon, never mind, get on with it. Carry on. But he doesn't. He speaks life over the situation. He says, go in the strength you have. Gideon, I am here. I am sending you. You are a mighty warrior. I am with you. God doesn't turn around and say to Gideon, yes, I recognize that life isn't so good at the moment. Things are hard. And I recognize you need to take some time out in, in that hole down there. And it'll be all right. In the meantime, I'll, I'll, I'll protect you and I'll save you. Oh, sorry about the whole Midian thing, by the way. It's one of those things. He doesn't say that. He says to Gideon, the youngest and least most person of his family, in the least of the tribes, he says, rise, mighty warrior, and I will send you with the strength you do have. And so where is he sending him? Is he sending him off to recuperate? No, he's sending him into battle. He's sending him to war. So with that in mind, I wanted to look at the three things that I found about God is peace and what that looks like. So firstly... God's peace is restorative. In the raging storm of life, God speaks through. And he speaks over Gideon, his true identity. You are a mighty warrior. The peace isn't about fluffy unicorns and rainbows. It's about God restoring Gideon's identity. Knowing your true identity will bring you peace. God wants to restore you to him and who he created you to be. And when we pray, God, give us peace, you know, sometimes you get texts from friends, pray for me and all those things. I always pray peace because what we are praying is that God will bring wholeness. We are praying that God will bring life and he will bring completeness and a sense of welfare to the situation, that he will restore our hearts, our bodies, and our lives in completeness to him, how it was meant to be. But I recognize that sometimes to see the restoration, you have to go to battle. You have to wage a war. There's things in our life that will just never be changed unless we go into battle. There's no fluffy animal or rainbow that's going to lead us out of the mess we're in. But to go to battle, you need to know that you are a mighty warrior 
and that God has called you mighty warrior. And that God is saying, go in the strength you have right now. He doesn't say to Gideon, let's wait a while for you to be recovered. He says, well, am I not sending you? And on a daily basis, we can face that battle. A battle to be the person God's called us to be. A battle to do the thing that God's called us to do. You know, and it's so easy to think, actually, I'm just going to stay in my wine press. I'm going to be down here. People have said this about me. I've said this about me. I don't know what God thinks anymore. And so we jump in the wine press, we stay in the wine press, but God is saying, You are a mighty warrior. But that led me to my next point, which showed that God's peace is in the dirt. Where did God go? He met Gideon in the wine press. The hole in the ground where he may have been holding, hiding in fear or shame, cross and exhausted from everything he knew, being different to what was promised, completely abandoned. The same God comes and he meets with us in the holes and in the dirt of our life. In the spaces where we've ignored him, in the spaces where we've blamed him, in the times we've questioned every decision, whether his decision is right for our life, he gets in with us. In all his perfection and all his cleanliness, he gets down. And his whole narrative has been that he will come down and meet with us, to take us, to dwell with us on the earth where he even sent his only son to die alone on a cross in the dirt. And he chooses even now through the Holy Spirit to be with us, to be with us in our mess, in our wine press. And our God's peace is so much more than us obtaining this happy, sanitized place of health and safety. God's peace is with us in the dirt. And he calls us out. He says, rise, mighty warrior. But then I recognize that in order to continue, we need to know that God's peace is courageous. And from verse 15, Gideon replied, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And he goes and prepares the offering. And then down in 22, it says, When Gideon realized that it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, 
I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. And as we saw, God at this point was not leading Gideon or calling Gideon out into a nice, safe place to be. He wasn't calling in into protection against the Midians. He was leading Gideon into battle. God was sending Gideon into battle because he knew that if he led him into battle, that would lead him into breakthrough. It would lead him into victory. And it could be that God calls you every day into battle. And for some people, that's exciting. And for some people, that's terrifying. You know, and we we often do what Gideon did. Gideon wanted a, a sure sign here that it was God speaking because clearly the whole angel appearing and um, was quite normal and not evident enough that that was God. Um, if ever that happens, uh, let me know. But um, and it, and I began to think what it must be like to feel the least of people, to not recognise who you are. And I've never been in an actual army. Never been in the army. Maybe you've been in the army, so I can't relate to that call in my life. But maybe you are at war. And the courage required is unimaginable. And there's a war that maybe some of you can relate to. So I'm just going to read this excerpt. And just concentrate for a moment. Maybe shut your eyes if you want to. Beep, beep, beep. It's 6am and the morning alarm cuts through your sleep. It wasn't much of a sleep anyway. You force yourself after a few presses of the snooze button to get out of bed. Before the days began, you're thinking of the million things to do before you even leave for work. Maybe you've already blurry-eyed, checked your emails and realised your day isn't going to go so well. Maybe you've already stubbed your toe on on the bed on the way to the bathroom. Maybe you've been up four, six times in the night to a crying child, a sick child, a sick person in your home. Maybe you've got a financial burden or another burden weighing on your mind and it's like a lead balloon and it takes you everything to get out of bed to start the day. You get dressed. The daily chores begin. You might have already replied to an email. If you've got children, you're getting them ready too. You're getting them ready for school, nursery, childminders. Everyone seems to be being difficult. Or maybe you're alone. And the longing for human touch, that first conversation of the day, and it's so quiet, and anxiety sets in. You need to get off to school or to work, or maybe prepare yourself for a day alone in front of the TV. And you've already forgotten what it is you need to do. You pack lunches, you've forgotten it's dress-up day, you've argued with your teenager, you're jostling through traffic on that commuting belt and you're exhausted, it's not even nine o'clock. Your mind is weighted. The pressures of the day or the anxiety that's set in at breakfast, it's a burden. 
And then on top of that, there's the burden of, are you doing enough? Are you being enough? Are you making sure that everyone has everything they need? And at moments in the day, you remember all the things you forgot. And you're working hard. You're concentrating on getting that thing right. And before you realize you've worked through lunch and people are clocking out and you've not done anything at all. And your to-do list is longer than the day started. And to top it off, your co-worker's been sneezing and coughing. So not only are you now leaving late with a long to-do list, you're covered in germs. And you're going to have to rush home. You get home, maybe straight into crazy family life. Or maybe just still alone. Or maybe you're going home alone. Maybe you're not alone, but you feel alone. But the requests, the noises, causing you to be distracted. And you can't be bothered to make a healthy dinner, so it's fast food or unhealthy food. And you feel guilty instantly and full of regret. And you go through the routine of the evening, still with the burden of the day. You might try and give your friends a call or your parents a call, but they have no idea what it is you actually do. And their well-meaning advice doesn't help at all. And it's just so exhausting. And it's exhausting as it was yesterday. And you wonder if God is in any of it. You wonder if God has a plan or a purpose. If he's going to come and answer that prayer, you wonder if he cares. And as you lay heavy on your bed... It's midnight and your brain begins to remind you of all the things you did wrong since you were five and you drift off to sleep, being disturbed in thought. Beep, beep, beep. It's 6 a.m. and the alarm cuts through your sleep. You are exhausted. And here's what you need to know. You are at war. You are in a daily battle and you are being hit every single day and God wants to cut through that noise or cut through that silence and say rise mighty warrior go in the strength you have I am with you the Lord is with you you cannot wait for life to be still to find peace of God. You need the peace of God in the storm. And you might still be sitting here thinking, I'm not a mighty warrior, but you're wrong. God's peace comes to you and it's restorative. He wants you to know your name. God's peace comes to you and it's in the dirt. He is getting in the dirt with you. And lastly, God's peace is, is courageous. It's you taking that step. It's you and knowing and understanding that in God you can do all things. Because peace is about who God is and what he wants to bring to your life. You cannot manufacture Yahweh Shalom. Wholeness in all of life, a completeness, welfare, safety, it is found in him he is our source for all of these things. And if you need to know what God is saying to you today, then it is this. Rise, mighty warrior. Maybe God is on your case. 
Maybe God's asking you to do risky things. Maybe he's asking you to change your job, to step off that commuter belt and risk it all. Maybe you've got life decisions. Maybe things are just on top of you. Or maybe you're exhilarated and and full of life. But in the midst of craziness, in the midst of things that God has asked you to do, think he would also ask, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the world to stop so you can catch your breath? Are you waiting for the wine press a bit more? You want to be in there a bit longer just so you can build up your own strength first before God can use you? What are you waiting for? Because the peace of God will come and meet you there. You know, and for Gideon, in that moment of realisation, he, he rushed back in to get the bread and the meat and to prepare an offering for the Lord. And maybe that's what he's asking you today. Do you need to go and get your offering? Do you need to prepare yourself? Because what actually what happened... Gideon in the realisation of who he was and who was calling him, he got out the wine press and led an army of 300 to battle against the Midianites. And the result of that victory was peace to the Israelites for 40 years. God was leading him in the strength he had right in that moment. Gideon could have stayed and continued to, to moan about the situation he was in. But he got up and he went and prepared an offering. 